you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9, which is the whole of Psalm 8. It should be found on page 434 in your pew Bibles, or 845 of the large print pew Bibles. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for your word, which we have to read. But Lord, we pray that you would give us your spirit, that these would not be words on a page, but that you would speak them into our hearts and our lives, that you would give us understanding. God, that even this morning, by your word and by your spirit, you would continue the work of transformation in our hearts and lives, that we would be changed even more today into the people that you have created us to be, displaying your image to all creation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 8, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Turning then to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, on page 785, Pew Bibles, or 1503 in the large print. Matthew chapter 4. This is just after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit of God come upon him in the, descending like a dove, and the voice saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then it says, Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I 
don't know how many of you ever took high school algebra, but if you were ever in a high school algebra class, there was probably a point where either you asked it or somebody else in the class asked it. You raise your hand, uh, yeah, are we ever going to use this in real life? Do we really need to know this? And that was kind of the, um, the attention check, right? You're saying, you know, you're saying all these things, and I'm kind of paying attention, but I don't really like it. I don't really understand it. Is it worth the effort I'm putting into it? Or is it okay if I just mentally check out right now and don't pay attention to the rest of this? Because that would be just fine with me. And a teacher, to varying degrees of success, would try to say, no, this really is something that you need to pay attention to. Well, this is where we are in the book of Hebrews. We are starting in uh, Hebrews chapter 2 today, and we're looking at a situation where the author to the Hebrew people, they're in a situation where they're facing persecution, they're facing increased difficulties for their faith in Jesus, and they're being encouraged to hold on to what they have heard, to what they have come to believe, to the message of Jesus. And he says, this really matters, and it's worth holding on to. Because at this point in their lives, they're really questioning. They're saying, you know, is it really, excuse me, author of the Hebrews, <laughs> we don't know his name, um, author of the Hebrews, is it, is it okay if we just go back to just being Jewish only? Because that sure seems a lot more comfortable. Is it okay if we just put Jesus aside? And he says, absolutely not. This is essential business. And let me tell you why. And so, in chapter 2, he actually opens. We mentioned last week how Jesus was above everything. I'll go ahead and give you that quote again from Tim Keller, the Bible teacher he heard years before. said that this just changed, changed the way he looks at everything. He said, think about this. If the distance between the earth and the sun, that 93 million miles was the thickness of a sheet of paper, then the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. The distance across the galaxy, the diameter of our own galaxy, would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. And our galaxy is just one little speck of dust in this universe as it is. If there is a person who holds all that together with the word of his power, his pinky as it were, Is this the kind of person, she said, you ask into your life to be your personal assistant? And of course the answer is no. But that's what uh, the writer said in Hebrews chapter 1. Is that the Son, that being Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And so we looked at how high and above everything, including the angels, that Jesus is. And so then he says in Hebrews chapter 2, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. It is so easy to drift. So easy to drift. When we have the constant messages of competing worldviews, when we have pressures, both internally and externally, to just let it slide. Just take a break for a little while. 
and a little while longer. And just take a little, what is it the proverb says, a little folding of the hands, a little rest of the eyelids, and so comes ruin. And so you say, well, just take a, just stop paying attention to Jesus for a little while. I'll get back to it. And then the next thing you know, you look up and your boat is nowhere near where you thought it was. You have drifted out to sea and you're lost. This is the image that he gives. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And here's why. He says, For the, Since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was the first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In other words, in speaking of the message spoken by angels, he's talking about the Old Testament law. and said, if that was binding, this message that came through angels, we already seen that Jesus is above the angels. If the message that came through angels was still binding, how much more this message of salvation that we have that was spoken to us by Jesus, when he says that it was first announced by the Lord, he's talking about the Lord Jesus who came and said, I bring you a message of entrance to the kingdom of God in a way that you have never known before, and it comes through me. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It comes through Jesus, and he says, if we ignore that, what other hope is there? There's nothing else. It's all in Jesus. And not only did Jesus announce this message, but then it was confirmed to us by those who heard him, those people who were actually his disciples and followed him around, and they heard him, they came, they spoke to us. And in case that wasn't enough, just, you know, the testimony of Jesus and his disciples. But if you read through the book of Acts, you see that everywhere they went, every time they'd go into a new people group, God would show up with various signs and miracles showing that this, these people are actually my people, communicating my message, the message of Jesus and the life that is in him. And then through gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will, not that everybody gets the same gifts, but that the Holy Spirit gifts everybody for ministry, for sharing this message. And so you have, right here in this one section, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the apostles, all giving testimony to the exact same thing, that Jesus is the message. Salvation is in him, and this is a message worth holding on to. You think maybe it's important to pay attention to it? You think maybe it's important to spend some time actually intentionally holding on so that we do not drift away as we continue to be bombarded by all the other voices in the world saying, I don't know why you guys make such a big deal about this Jesus guy anyway. But wait, there's more. Picking up in verse 5. So it is, not to, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. 
Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In quoting these psalms, the writer points out that even though we were made lower than the angels, that's not, that's not a bad thing. It's not like, well, you guys aren't even as good as angels. It's almost like saying, um, you know, that, that building is so big, it's just shy of being a mountain. <laughs> it's almost as tall as a mountain. Not quite. That wouldn't be a way of saying it's a small building. That would be a way of saying it's a huge building. And that's what he's saying about people. That they're a little lower than the angels is a way of saying they're still way above everything else in creation. This is a very different message from what you get from naturalist, atheistic worldviews that say there's no difference between people and any other animal. We are just one mammal among many. Sure, we can talk to each other, but uh, that's the only reason we think we're special. The Bible says something very different. It says that in Genesis chapter 1, it talks about how God created everything and that it was formless and empty. And he spends the first three days forming that which was unformed. And the next three days, filling that which was empty. And every time he fills a space, he puts it as a ruler over that space. So the sun and the moon and stars are there to rule over the day and the night. And the birds, and, uh, the birds of the air and the fish of the seas are to rule over the air and the water. And then the animals are put on the land, and the people are there. And you would expect that they're then to rule over the land. But no, they're to rule over everything that's come before. To rule over all of it. But by way of rule, it doesn't mean oppression and exploitation. But Jesus, <laughs> God takes the, this man and this woman, and he puts them in a garden. And you know when you rule over a garden, that doesn't mean, hey, this is my garden, I can do what I want. And you just start, start trashing it. No. To rule over your garden means to tend it and to cultivate it and to take care of it so that it produces fruit. And this is what God has put people over everything to do. That we are to tend and to cultivate and to care for everything as God's very representatives. But it says something went wrong because that's not what we see. At present, we don't see people ruling over all of creation, taking care of all of creation. We see many examples of people exploiting the creation for their own personal gain. And we see people constantly at war with nature itself, fearing nature and the creation itself. My kids and I have stumbled across a show recently called, it's on the Weather Channel, called So You Think You'd Survive. Anybody seen that? That is, that is terrifying. Every episode, they just take uh, you know, a handful of things that you didn't know you should be scared of, and they make you scared of them. <laughs> and so they'll, they'll have an episode with tornadoes, or lightning, or uh, earthquakes, or volcanoes, or spiders, or rattlesnakes. And you go, oh my goodness, this whole planet is out to kill me. And they try to teach you what you should do so that you can uh, <laughs> not die, even though the whole of the creation is threatening to kill you. And uh, it's great to watch just before bed. You can have wonderful nightmares. But that's the point, though, is that um, it says at present we do not see everything subject to them. And by the way, when we're talking about them, we're talking about 
people, humans, us, those who are supposed to be God's representatives. We don't see everything subject to them, not the way it's supposed to be, because each one of us has turned from uh, being servants of God's kingdom to try to build our own. And that doesn't work. But he says, but what we do see is we see Jesus. We do see Jesus, the one person who got it right. And because of his death, he is the one who is now over everything. Crowned with glory and honor. Yes, he was made lower than the angels for a little while. Which, if you remember from chapter 1, how high above the angels Jesus is, for him to be made below the angels at all is a huge step. A huge step down. But why? For us. He says in verse 5, it's not to angels he subjected the world to come. It's for people. He did this for us. If Jesus were going to help the angels, he would become an angel, but he didn't. He became a human in flesh and blood to identify with us so that he might taste death for everyone. Something that we could not do in and of ourselves and for a purpose. He says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Not that he wasn't perfect in holiness before, but he had not yet become the perfect savior until his death. And so the one who was uh, already the perfect son of God became our perfect savior. The one that we needed. And so it says, both the one who makes people holy, that being Jesus, and those who are made holy, that being us, are of the same family. Listen to this. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them, that's us, brothers and sisters. He says, remember, he, the one who's above everything, the one who's above all the angels and all the universe, who holds it all together, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises, and again I will put my trust in him. And again he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of death. Break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death. What does it mean to be held in slavery by your fear of death? If death is the worst thing that can happen, then you will do everything to avoid it, including what maybe you were created to do, what maybe God is calling you to do, and you'll say, I don't know about going there. I don't know about doing that. That's too dangerous. I might get hurt. I might even die. If that is the worst thing that can happen, is that your physical body would die, you will do anything to avoid it. You will compromise your beliefs, your principles, your character, anything to avoid death. And if that's the case, then we are held in slavery. We can't do what we want to do. We can't do what we're made to do. We can't do what we've been created to do and what we've been called to do because we are chained by our fear of death. I can't go there. I can't do that. I'm not free. 
As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, where, O death, is your sting? Where is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we don't have to be afraid of death anymore because we are united to Jesus. And Jesus has power over, the de- over death itself. He has beaten death. And in him, we have life beyond the grave. And so we do not have to fear death anymore. And when God says, I want you to go here and I want you to do this, and you say, oh, but that's scary and I might die. He says, yep. I want you to go there anyway. And trust me, even if you die, it will be okay. Because I've beaten death. And you will live again. And so no longer are we held in slavery by our fear of death. But we can live lives that have been created for us to live. It says, For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, those who live by faith. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Last week we looked at how Jesus is above everything. And we need to hold that in our minds, that we don't think that Jesus is just some guy, that he was a good teacher, but nothing more. No, Jesus is above all. And yet, and we'll see that as we go through the rest of this book, we'll see him compared to all sorts of things and see just how far above everything he is. And yet, we're talking about today in chapter 2 is not how far above he is because that might, if we just think about how far above us he is, we think we have nothing in common with him. We have, he he couldn't possibly understand what I'm going through. We have no access to him. And chapter 2 says, oh, he is above everything, but he came close. And he took on real flesh and real blood Sometimes when we think about Jesus, it's easy to think that he just kind of got a free pass through life, that he just sort of glided through, everything was easy, because, hey, he was God. But he has real flesh, real blood. He knew what it was like to really be hungry, to really be thirsty, to really be tired, to get real blisters on his feet as he walked in those sandals. He knew what it was like to feel a whip on a real back, to have his flesh torn open, to have his joints pulled out, to have nails driven through real hands and feet. He knew what it was like to suffer. But here's the thing that we often miss. He didn't have to know what it was like to suffer. He didn't have to. He could have said, nope, I'm not doing that. They can all go to hell. That's what we deserve. And he could stay in heaven and say, look, they did the crime, they can do the time. But instead, he came close. Real flesh, real blood, real suffering because of a real love. One that was costly, one that was sacrificial, one that makes him both a merciful and a faithful high priest. Merciful because he can identify with us. He knows what we're going through. And faithful because he's the one person in all of history that got it right. 
who lived every moment fully trusting God. And it says, verse 18, that's where we end. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus faced real temptation. Temptation to turn away from God, to turn away from the plan that God had put before him, the calling on his life, to do things his own way. We just read three of them in Matthew 4. Temptations to say, look, why don't you just go ahead and take your kingdom now, the easy way, none of the suffering. But Jesus stands firm in the face of temptation. Temptation probably much stronger than any we will ever face. He had all the guns of hell pointed straight at him. And in the same way that you don't feel the full force of, uh, I heard this described before, trees in a forest. If a hurricane is blowing the winds through, if you go down at the first gust of wind, you don't feel the full force. But it's the one tree that remains standing through the worst of it all that feels the worst of it all. Jesus is the one that stayed true to the end, and he has faced temptation greater than we will ever know. So when we start thinking Jesus is so high above everything else, yes, that's true. But don't think for a minute that means so he couldn't possibly understand what I'm going through. What I'm facing right now, he would have no idea. Oh, he has an idea. He absolutely does. He's been there. He's experienced it. And he's made it through. And so because he himself suffered when he was uh, tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So if you find yourself saying, look, this temptation is too great for me. I cannot resist it. It's too big. I can't do it. Okay. Jesus says, give it to me. Because I can do that. I can do that for you. And so we hand it over to him. And we find resources we never knew we had before to live a life we couldn't ever live before, to be freed from the things that always have held us in slavery before. You think maybe this is worth paying attention to? You think maybe it's worth paying the most careful attention to so that we do not drift away? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.